This is Indie ColorCast, powered by Radio Kismet. Andrew Benioff here with Indie ColorCast, along with Christopher Plan of Radio Kismet, live here in Philadelphia, PA. Today, we're going to be talking with Tom Collins, the President and Executive Director of the Barnes Foundation, All Things Art. Here we go. Today, we're in the studio with Andrew Benioff, who is the founder of the Independent Lodging Congress. And we are also on the phone with Tom Collins, who is from the Barnes Foundation here in Philadelphia. Hi, Andrew. How are you? Hey, good, Christopher. Thanks for having us again. Tom, wonderful to have you with us today. Thanks, Andrew. Nice to be with you. Your background was in history and the history of religion. And I'm interested to know about how you got into the art world and then into museums and, and what you do now. Sure. Well, I actually, so my, my educational background is, is both art history and history of religion. Uh, but the deeper story really is a, it's a family story, not surprisingly. I, uh, both of my parents are uh, prolific creators. Uh, my father is, was a public school teacher, a social studies teacher, but a, an excellent painter and graphic artist. And my mother a uh, hospital administrator, but also um, very involved with uh, the needle arts, uh, needlework, and so forth. Also very talented. So I grew up in a house with makers. And then when I was a small child, my parents uh, went to graduate school. And when my father was on childcare duty, um, one of the things he frequently did uh, with me and my brother, my younger brother, uh, here in Philadelphia was uh, take us to museums. So. I really grew up in the Philadelphia Museum of Art and the Pennsylvania Academy, the ICA, uh, and later on um, in the Barnes Foundation in, in Marion. So I come by my interest uh, naturally, organically. And uh, when I was in uh, college, I went to Swarthmore and uh, studied both art history and religion, as I said. And I think that my particular attraction to art history was of course it, it, my rooted in uh, this childhood experience, but also in a kind of uh, particular frame, which is that my father as a social studies teacher wouldn't just drag us to museums, but rather the museums were teaching environments. And as a, a historian and a social historian himself uh, would talk to us as children about what these works of art represented. Uh, less interested in aesthetics, and more interested in pictures and objects as texts, as evidence of uh, historical developments, of, of social arrangements, of uh, particular moments in our shared uh, cultural history. So uh, the study of art history was really for a way for me to deepen an engagement with the world through uh, the visual arts. What would you think was your like the favorite style of art that you were drawn to having, I mean, so many of the, the different museums that you talked about have such different styles, whether it is the Barnes uh, versus the ICA, you know, the Philadelphia Museum Art has uh, all kinds of collections and, and PAFA. What, what were you drawn to um, any particular style of art when you were young? Well, it's interesting. I have, I have strong childhood memories of, of specific works of art, but I, I think that I was introduced to so many different kinds of cultural production and introduced to them um, not as purely aesthetic forms, but rather as communicative forms. So uh, 
less an issue of what I like and don't like and more an issue of what I understand and appreciate. So, uh, so I, my tastes are very eclectic in terms of my, my, my personal interests, uh, and they span, uh, you know, the history of, of art production and they span, uh, all the continents, um, and really a wide variety of genres. And I'm interested in architecture and design. I'm interested in film and related uh, material cultural forms. So, and you landed at the perfect place to explore that. What do you see as the as the mission of, of the Barnes and 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 you know, which is eclectic and has such a unique vision, um, comes from uh, a strong leader that has you know that the the museum has evolved. And uh, how do you how do you execute that mission with this? backstory that you have that seems to be perfectly tailored for that. I, I hope that that's true. I certainly feel uh, privileged and I am grateful to be here at the Barnes. It's such a great institution and I think at a great moment in its history. You know, Albert Barnes was a brilliant guy uh, and he collected not just Western modernism, but, you know, art from around the world and across time. Uh, very explicitly in service to an educational project. I won't get into all the details, but, you know, right. it was an educational project that was informed by um, his interest in pragmatic philosophy and psychology. Uh, so he was collecting art, but it was not a, it was not to decorate his home. He was co collecting works of art because he believed that a certain kind of mediated experience, a certain kind of educational experience encounter with works of art could be a part of one's personal progress, one's self-improvement. And, uh, and this is a very kind of powerful idea. It was when he established the foundation in 1922 and when he opened the, the, the Marion Gallery building in 1925 was a, an exceptional, unique, and very progressive gesture. And um, I, we continue to serve his educational mission today, although we have certainly broadened um, the way that we teach about art, the way we speak about art here, still all, of course, on the foundation of his original teaching method. Uh, and then more broadly, I think today the, the Barnes and other progressive institutions also understand that uh, we have some core competencies that we can meaningfully extend into, for example, the social services arena, just to give you one example, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and that's a place where we, we understand we have real growth opportunities. So, for example, we know that a certain kind of facilitated engagement with the visual arts can be very beneficial for people with Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia and their caregivers as well. So a place where we can move beyond a traditional notion of museum education, whether it's pre-K through 12 or adult education, which I think I believe we do very well here. And I'm very proud of those programs. But we also understand there are other things we can do that are that are absolutely uh, connected to Barnes' broad commitment, which was to um, enlisting great art in service to uh, education and self-improvement. And I think by implication, the improvement of our communities. Yeah, that is uh, so interesting to think about, you know, this this 
beautiful space that you have now um, that you are the, the steward of and this incredible vision of its founder. Do you sometimes have imaginary conversations with, uh, with the founder of your institution and try to think how he would think and, and how you can, um, you know, keep pulling this uh, institution into the future? Uh, I, I think about Albert Barnes uh, all the time. I right. think most of us here do. Right. Um, he was a brilliant, you know, visionary, uh, but also irascible, big personality. And I often imagine when we are undertaking new initiatives here, um, I often try to imagine what he would think of them um, because, you know, he really looms large. Uh, his vision still seems progressive today, a century later, and um, we want to honor that while uh, continuing to be relevant to all the different uh, parts of our community that we hope to serve, that we aim to serve. So, yeah, he, he looms very large here. We think about him all the time. So, Tom, what do you see as the importance of art today and why mm. is it important to relay this to the general public? Well, uh, I, I would I would say that I think the best art, the most powerful art, is that art in which progressive ideas are enunciated in novel and thus uniquely compelling forms. And and for this reason, the visual arts have the power to change the way we think, the way we feel, and the way we behave. Uh, an, an enormous power to change the way we think, feel, and behave. And look, we live, I believe we live in challenging times, in, in troubled times, or at least troubling times. So we really need to change the way we think, feel, and behave with regard to the world we share. And I think we have a responsibility to bring great art to the broadest possible public uh, with a socially ameliorative aim in mind. Wow, very cool. I hadn't thought about it in that way, but now that you say that, um, that's very compelling. I love it. If you were to personally choose one genre and one artist, which or who would you choose as your favorite and why? Well, I, I said earlier, my, you know, my, my interests are broad and deep, so I'm, I'm very eclectic. I mean, there's no particular genre, period of time, you know, productive context, whether it has to do with nation or, um, or culture that I, that, that I, I prefer to, to another. Um, I mean, I really love powerful art, and I've just described to you what I take to be a kind of irreducible formula for making powerful art, powerful material culture. Who, who um, right now then is who, I mean, if you're not choosing only one for Well, overall. I would say this, like, I mean, if you're interested in who I, you know, if, if I guess if I had to be stuck on a desert island with um, one artist and, or, or the, the work of one artist, I, I, I love uh, the work of Louise Bourgeois, the late Louise Bourgeois, you know, the, the, the profound psychological depth and complexity of her art to me is endlessly interesting and endlessly moving. You know, it, I, it always I, moves me. I have a strong uh, feeling that, that you're the founder of the Barnes would feel the same way. You know, her work is, is incredibly compelling. It is varied. It is uh, something that even 60, 70 years old uh, has a contemporary feel. So I'm not surprised at that one bit. And now, and also, also a very strong personality. Yeah. Um, you know, a very strong personality and, and a, a remarkable character. I had the 
great privilege to work with her um, when she was, I think, 93 or 94 on an exhibition. And, Where was you that? know, uh, that was an exhibition I organized in Baltimore at the Walters Art Gallery. It was a, an exhibition in which the Walters uh, gave me the opportunity to curate an exhibition that actually was spread, that was spread through their entire permanent collection from antiquities to the 19th century. And so uh, I worked with Louise Bourgeois and her studio to select, maybe it was about 40 works that spanned her career. That's significant. That uh, were actually installed in galleries, in the existing galleries as they were organized. So, for example, um, you know, wonderful a uh, small marble sculpture uh, juxtaposed with uh, with a, a, a reliquary, or a, you know, a fantastic um, a, a fantastic uh, you know a sculpture of hers of a which you may know of a, of a kind of multi-breasted uh, you know wolf yeah. or dog form installed in the Egyptian galleries with uh, you know juxtaposed with uh, Egyptian artifacts that which it resembled and referred to, it was just a very, very powerful experience. And the intertextual uh, aspect of those galleries with her work in them was, I think, you know, it was mysterious, it was compelling. And, and as I said, I find her work, you know, the, the kind of psychological depth really, and the, and the referential complexity of her art. Well, uh, and standing alone, powerful, but then juxtaposed with um, work from the history of, civilization uh, you know really it was i thought it, i thought it was a really a knockout and well and, and it, it seems so barnesian in its concept uh if you think about it now um creating these I mean, well, don't you yeah, think i mean barnes, well barnes was very i mean i think you're referring to the sort of the juxtaposition juxtaposition right. of pictures and objects from different cultures and from different moments in time by different artists um, was central to his teaching method, although in his case, it was it, the juxtapositions were not about um, the kind of uh, communicative, expressive dimension of the pictures, but rather those juxtapositions were about encouraging a certain kind of analytical frame of mind that he believed would, if cultivated, improve the uh, the the psychological profile, the uh, critical um, skills of the individual um, observer, and would resonate through their entire lives. That it right. would that this self improvement through a kind of refined approach to self awareness and awareness of oneself in the world. Whereas the, the the bourgeois work, while there were of course many formal dimensions to those. Um, installations, formal relationships between her work and historically significant work in the Walters collection. Um, it was also about, uh, you know, reference. It was about referentiality. It was about um, meanings. It was about um, a kind of emotional resonance and so forth, uh, which was a little bit outside of Barnes' uh, critical interests. Mm -hmm. Tom, I just want to say that I'm wondering where you were when I was an undergrad taking intro to art history, because I could have really used you. I didn't do very well in I that class. I think I was, Andrew, I think I was probably an undergrad taking art history too. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I, you seem to have uh, much more. Uh, You're slightly more involved than Andrew <laughs> yes. and his uh, conversations about artwork. Yes. So. 
All I can remember is Surat the dot. That's all I can remember. So, okay. uh, well, well, come to the barns. We have a number of brilliant paintings by Surat. Yeah. Excellent. So one of the things that we talk a lot about, you know, the Independent Lodging Congress is the, 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 the you know, the core goals of, of good hospitality, um, you know, being to surprise and delight. And the use of art is clearly a, a way to do this. What are some examples of, of the hospitality um, viewpoints that you guys hold in the barns and, and how could um, other organizations learn from that? Let me, let me start speaking personally rather than about the barns. And then I'm really, I'm happy to talk about uh, museums and hospitality environments because, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting question, I think. And a question that has only been partially answered, at least in, in my world. I mean, with regard to the idea, the issue rather of, of art and hotels, I mean, you encouraged me to be candid, so I'm going to say that from my from my own part. Um, you know, I, most hotel art, in my experience, broadly, is pretty mediocre. Right. I mean, as art, at least in in the sense that I described at the outset. Right. Uh, um, but I also get it, right? You 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 open and operate a hotel or a restaurant. You don't want to. You're not there to teach. You're not there to provoke or unsettle probably your guests. Um, but this seems to mean in practical, in, in practical terms or it, in practice, it seems to mean uh, a kind of default C minus decorative abstraction or botanical prints or, you know, kitschy photographs in lots of situations. And, um, you know, there are obvious exceptions to this. There is the rare hospitality environment, for example, that can take advantage of historically significant art that is part of its physical fabric, like the, you know, fantastic Four Seasons in Milan, which features, uh, you know, great 15th century fresco fragments in some of its public spaces, you know, uh, or the 21C hotels, which have made more challenging contemporary art central to their brand, right? They've built their brand around that offering. Right. But speaking for myself as someone who travels a lot and spends a lot of time in hotels, I would say I'd much rather spend time in a beautifully designed and furnished hotel or restaurant with no art right. than be forced to sort of reconcile myself to a mediocrity, a mediocrity of any kind. And, and, and I don't think this is because I'm an art historian or a curator. I think discerning travelers, discerning diners, generally find the banality of most hotel art if if not insulting then certainly a little sad it it, it, it leaves me wanting all the time um, do, you, do you feel tom that the reason perhaps that developers of these hotels uh, or or managers of these hotels use this you know the the simplified form of you know sort of kitschy photographs and very simplified art that's not interesting because they believe that their guests will not appreciate it or they don't want to be, they don't want to even push a little bit on the boundaries of what could be politically correct or incorrect or that it won't, it's just something that won't resonate with guests or why do you think that, that they, they do that? I, I, well, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm being generous and saying that, that I think it's, that, 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 that it's no, but I mean, it's deliberate, right? I get right. it. If you are, if you're trying to engage the broadest po possible public, 
um, in a hospitality venture. I understand that that provocative, uh, you know, unsettling, aggressive, uh, challenging works of art. Probably not what you're what you want to introduce into these hospitality environments. I, I get that. Um, I think there are other alternatives, but I think there are alternatives. I, but but I but I but I sort of but I get that. I don't think I don't believe it's because. Uh, designers, in fact, I know it's not because most designers, most operators, most owners don't understand the difference between, you know, really powerful art and, and what they're, what they're choosing to, to introduce into these hospitality environments. I don't think it's that they don't understand generally. I think it's deliberate. Um, and so, and I, and I get it. So the, so the question then is, uh, what else can you do? And as I said, I, I, a beautifully designed and appointed uh, hospitality space to me can be satisfying enough in and of itself, right? As an experience. Um, if you're going to go beyond that, if, if it's important to introduce pictures and objects into the environment that are not part of the designer's scheme, but rather are, or rather are introduced into the designer's scheme, um, you know, we have to ask ourselves, what else might we do, right? Than, than these kinds of obvious fallbacks, and I, and I think there are there are alternatives. I think there are alternatives. There are meaningful alternatives. Yeah, well, and of course, when you talk about complex art that costs money and creates complications, it's something that you have to uh, discuss and define. And it's interesting, um, you know, with Twenty One C, and and there are some other uh, hotel concepts that are trying to put. Um, more, uh, more and interesting and varied art into their their spaces. It becomes something that um, is is somewhat elusive. But um, you know, with these spaces that have limited budgets, what what can you think of creative ideas on on how they can kind of do this affordably or build out relationships with local artists and different things like that? Well, I mean, I would say I think it's a little bit. I think the whole issue of price point is a bit of a MacGuffin, right? I mean, good art need not be prohibitively expensive because, frankly, it need not be produced by a big international name. And, hey, think about this. It can also be produced in multiple, right? Because if you're furnishing hotel rooms, I'm only staying in one hotel room at a time. So you, a, a work of art, a significant work of art could be commissioned to be produced in multiple for a space from a good artist, maybe even a great artist, because there's an economy of scale there when you're producing multiples. But beyond that, I think working with uh, the right curatorial consultants, bringing the right voices into the conversation, and perhaps most importantly, bringing local connected voices into the conversation is important. And why not try to work with knowledgeable uh, people who are knowledgeable about producers in a particular community or place that may not be international names, probably won't be international names, but could still make quality, challenging work or provocative work or stimulating work or exhilarating work or thrilling work um, at a reasonable price point. Such a decision, a decision to work with local expertise, curatorial expertise, to work with uh, local or regional artists or to bring 
artists from outside into a community to make work for a hospitality environment that is responsive to uh, the world right outside the doors of the hotel or restaurant is could be a powerful strategy, should be a powerful strategy. And it also could be a cost-effective one, a more cost-effective one than, for example, commissioning a Jeff Koons piece for your for your hotel plaza, right? Right. Um, so it's a bit of a MacGuffin, right? It doesn't need to be about commissioning Jeff Koons or commissioning Damien Hurst. Are there ways that museums like yours or smaller museums in other markets that are experts on this can work with hotels or are there ways that hotels can work with museums and those outlets for art to educate sure. the public and please guess? Sure. I mean, I, you know, I can't speak for every, certainly can't speak for every institution and wouldn't presume to, but I would say in the institutions in which I've worked, um, we have had a variety of different partnership kinds of partnership with uh, hotels and, and other hospitality um, environments, you know, private clubs, members clubs, that kind of thing um, that range from simply bringing museum connected programming into an environment, uh, educational or entertainment oriented, uh, you know, programming a conversation at a Soho house. I used to do this all the time in Miami or talking about collecting um, to the members of, of a private club or, a, or bringing uh, exhibition catalogs from current or future shows into hotel rooms, right? In partnership with hotel operators or working with, uh, you know, designers of hotels to help them do exactly what I described earlier, which is make uh, context-specific and sensitive decisions about what art uh, to introduce into these environments. I've been part of institutions that have done all of these things. And here at the Barnes, we are currently doing all of these things um, with various partners. And, you know, it, it, is, it is good for the museum, gives us visibility. It extends our educational reach. Uh, it is, of course, I hope good for, and I know it's good for our partner, uh, our partners in the hospitality industry, right? They are building connections that are meaningful in the community. They are drawing on expertise that is very focused on uh, the local. Uh, and of course, then it's good, can be good for local, local artist populations. It can be good for local uh, curatorial talents. Uh, it can be good for the uh cultural institutional ecosystem more broadly. And at the end of the day, it's good business. It's, and it's a good, uh, good for the general economy, the local economy. And I think it can be a win all the way around and there's no reason why it shouldn't be. Yeah. And it seems like it's a, it's, it's all positive. Exactly. Like you said, at the independent lodging Congress, we like to ask the question, what does the spirit of independence mean to you and the way that, that you've chosen to do business. It seems like you have an incredibly uh, unique perspective on the, the art world. Um, you're working within uh, a large establishment, but what does independence mean to you in, in terms of how it references what, what we do here with the Independence Lodging Congress? Well, that is such a, it's a, a great question. And I, I would love to offer you something profound. <laughs> and I, You can do your best. <laughs> it, it, seems, it seems to demand a more profound uh, I, I would I would say this that um, I believe that you know human consciousness evolves through 
the testing of propositions about being in the world, right? It's, it's one of the great paradox. It's perhaps the great paradox of living that uh, you have to be in the world to have an idea of the world, but you also have to have an idea of the world to be in the world, uh, to operate in the world. And I, with that idea in mind, I think it's, you know, consciousness evolves through testing about testing uh, propositions about um, the new, uh, the edge, the future, and learning from uh, the results of those tests, whether they be individual or institutional or social or cultural, um, we proceed towards a greater synthesis through uh, testing our propositions about the world, new propositions world uh, about the world. And isn't that what independence is, right? It's the, it is stepping outside of the known, the received, the learned, the inherited, um, and trying to advance, trying to advance by, by thinking differently, behaving differently, um, and responding in an iterative fashion to what one learns through being in the world in that way. Tom, yeah. really amazing having you today. Fantastic yeah. uh, spending a few minutes with you, and we're grateful that you chose to to give us a few minutes. Looking forward to seeing you at our Indie Confab here in Philly in April. Thanks again for joining ColorCast. Yeah, it's such a pleasure. Thank you very much for the time. I look forward to seeing you. This is Indie ColorCast, powered by Radio Kismet. And I'm Andrew Benioff, founder and chairman of the Independent Lodging Congress. Indie ColorCast is where we explore independent hospitality, entrepreneurship, and society at large through conversations with leaders in our community of hoteliers, designers, and others to encourage idea generation and new ways of conducting meaningful business. Indie ColorCast.